Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today, we're lucky to have a very special guest. She is Dr. Yvonne Kaysen. She's the author of the book, Touched by the Light, Exploring Spiritually Transformative Experiences. She has researched peak spiritual experiences for 40 years, and she even coined the phrase spiritually transformative experiences, also known as STEs. Besides all this, she has had five near-death experiences herself. Dr. Kaysen, thank you so much for giving me some of your time today. I really appreciate you and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. All right, let's start here. What prompted you as a medical doctor to become an STE and NDE researcher? Well, you know, it started because of some things that happened to me in medical school and in my medical residency. Um, Back in 1976, when I was in my last year in medical school, I took a meditation course they were offering at the university that said it would help you relax so you do better on your exams, etc., study better. So I took this. I had a lot of exams, of course, in medical school. So I wasn't trying to have like a transcendental experience or anything like that. I really was taking it because it was supposed to help me uh, with nerves, etc., for my medical exams. I loved meditating. I started um, meditating every day for like an hour in the morning, hour in the evening. I really, really loved it. And um, much to my surprise, after several months of meditating regularly, I had a really powerful experience one night when I was meditating. And I heard this loud inner roaring noise, like the, like the roar of a waterfalls. And then I felt this really strong energy rush up my body and up through the top of my head. And then it was my consciousness seemed to expand. And it was as if I was um, expanded. I wasn't the size of my body anymore. I was maybe the size of like a large auditorium. And then I, it's like I turned into this big energy field, expansive energy field. And then I felt this incredible feeling of love. And I thought, wow, you know, no wonder people like to meditate because I didn't know any better. I thought this was like the it experience that experience that, you know, the more senior meditators were having all the time when they meditated. Um, And this I stayed in this expansive state of love for maybe an hour until my meditation was over. And then when I finished my meditation, I sort of came back to my normal self. Well, I now know many years later that that, in fact, was a kundalini awakening experience. But I didn't know that when I was in medical school. And I, you know, sort of didn't focus on it because I was still focusing on my studies and my exams. But I wondered, like, what was this thing that happened to me? Um, And I was having unusual 
after effects afterwards, you know, that I was getting episodes of recurrences of energy rushing up my spine. I was hearing unusual inner sounds, which I now realize are inner chakra sounds. And, uh, but, you know, I just sort of put that aside, but that was in medical school. And then when I was finishing my medical training, when I was a a medical resident, when I was finishing my residency training, I had another really powerful experience, a different one. This time I was in a, a medevac, March 27th, 1979. I was in a medevac by small airplane, um, a critically ill native Indian woman. I was sent to work for a month in Northern Ontario in the middle of winter. And we were flying this critically ill woman in a medevac by airplane and the plane crashed. Mm. The plane crashed and it it crashed fortunately rather than into the forest onto the surface of a semi-frozen lake. And then the plane sank and I had to swim a long distance to shore uh, I'm just making the story short for you. I described the story, book, all my near-death experiences in a lot more detail in my book. But um, in the process of almost drowning and almost freezing to death when I was swimming to shore and then ultimately made it to the closest shore, I had what I now know was a near-death experience. But back then, I didn't know what this was. I, As I was swimming to shore, again, I heard a loud roaring noise, sort of like the, the roar of a waterfalls. And then I felt my consciousness rise above my body. And then it wasn't even as straightforward as that because it was actually like my consciousness was two places at the same time. And I compare it to like the split screen TV where you have a big image. That's the most of the image on the TV. And then you have a little tiny image in the corner. So it was like the main part of my consciousness had left and I was now above my body, but there was still a little part of my consciousness that was down in my body because I was still trying to swim to shore. I was struggling trying to swim to shore when this was happening And so there, the bulk of my consciousness was, mm, I don't know, felt like 20, 30 feet above my body. And then all of a sudden it rose higher and I rose into this realm or place or state. It's hard to know what word to put to it, but I I seemed to find myself in, I'm going to call it a place, a place that was filled with light and filled with love. Now, many years later, we've heard a lot about near-death experiences and people talk about the light. I had not heard about it back then. But what I was experiencing, the most profound part of it for me personally was not the light, although it was bright light. It was the love that I was feeling. The most powerful part of that experience was this incredible, powerful unconditional love that I was feeling. I felt like I was home. You know, that this was where I belonged. And although I did not hear words being spoken to me or get any messages telepathically, I just somehow knew things while I was in this realm of of light and love. And what I somehow knew, I mean, for a moment, I saw like a a face of light, and then it sort of faded from view into the periphery, sort of like soft white clouds. And 
Um, but what I knew in this light and love filled place is somehow I knew just to my soul, I knew that what I was experiencing was the love of the higher power or what I had been raised to call God. And, and what I was experiencing God or the higher power was not at all like what I had been taught God was like, you know, it was not like a man with a long white beard sitting on a throne judging us. Have you been good? Have you been bad? No, that was not what I was experiencing at all. It was something completely different. I was experiencing the higher power or what I call God as like a universal force that's underlying and interpenetrating all of creation and that it is infinitely loving in nature, that it loves each and every one of us and that it is infinitely intelligent. And I knew somehow also while I was in this realm of light, shall we call it, that that what I think of as me would live on whether my body down there that was swimming to shore lived or not. And I, me, would continue to live, even if that body down there um, didn't survive the ordeal. Anyway, through a whole bunch of series of coincidences, if you believe in that, or miracles, or the grace of God, um, you know, there just happened to be overhead, a, a plane a flying overhead that picked up our SOS when we crashed, and no other buddy else would have heard it unless they were directly overhead, but yeah, there just happened to be a plane directly overhead, and they radioed down to ground, and where we'd swum to was an island, and the only way you could get there was with a helicopter, and normally there's no helicopter anywhere, but just by coincidence, that day, a helicopter had set down because of the bad weather about, about five miles from where we had crashed. And they happened to pick up the re- relay down message about that there's a plane down. They got the approximate lo- location. Anyway, so this helicopter came out with two two pilots who had never met each other before. They were both grounded by the bad, bad weather, but not even thinking or risking their lives. They, they went out, they looked for us, they found us. They uh, both risked their lives in trying to, to rescue us and to bring us to the local hospital. Um, I watched from above, you know, as they, they landed the helicopter and the closest hospital, which was Kenora, Ontario. And I saw the, the staff in the emergency department, you know, wheel out their gurneys and um, put me on one of those gurneys and roll me into the emergency department. And and I watched as they uh, finally wheeled me because I was hypothermic, which means almost frozen to death and near drowning. I had lake water in my lungs when they brought me into the emergency department. And I could feel my consciousness drifting further and further away from my body. And I knew that I was dying, but... But I was totally at peace because I knew I would live on even if my body died. And I was really surprised when all of a sudden I heard a voice say, boy, could I use a hot bath? And I was stunned to see that those words had come out of my physical mouth because I hadn't even been thinking that. Like, I don't know what force spoke through me and said, boy, could I use a hot bath? 
But it turns out that's exactly what my body needed. I was dying of hypothermia. I needed to be reheated as soon as possible. And when my body spoke those words, the nurses said, oh, maybe that'll help them. Let's take them down to the physiotherapy department, put them in the hot whirlpool bath. And so they did. They, they put me in the hot water. And it was there in that hot water that I finally felt my consciousness re-enter my body. And what that felt like was like this. It was like, whoosh. it's sort of like, it felt like when they depict on television, uh, a genie being sucked into a bottle, you know, that I was in this big expansive place up there. And then suddenly through what felt like the top of my head, I was being sucked into the small confines of my body. And then I was back. And I remember rubbing my frozen hands. I had no feeling in my hands from all the the frostbite I had. I'm rubbing them against my legs in the hot water going, I'm back, I'm back, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. And, you know, they probably thought I was confused or something like that, but I wasn't confused at all. It was, I knew at that instant that in the divine plan, I was going to live, you know, that, that, that I was going to survive this incident. So this happened to me right towards the end of my residency, uh, right before I began my medical practice. And this experience impacted me tremendously, tremendously. And thank goodness I had about a month off work after this, what I now know was a near-death experience. Back then, for years, I had no idea what to even call what had happened to me. Um, But because I was like so filled with love after this experience. What I literally felt was like some of that love came back with me. And uh, I was just oozing with love. Sometimes I call it being drunk with love or love intoxicated or something like that. I remember in that month I was at home recovering from my frostbite. I would look out the window and I would see squirrels playing in my yard and I would just have waves of love coming out of my heart for the squirrels, right? Or I'd be looking at children playing down the street and I'd have these waves of love coming out of my heart for the children. And similarly, music, anytime I'd listen to music or songs on the radio, it was like, oh, you know, the love would come out of my heart and I'd have tears flowing down my eyes. I was so filled with love, just filled with love and the beauty and the joy and the preciousness of life. And then, you know, it wasn't all just, you know, ungrounded sort of love. There was also very positive changes that happened to me psychologically with this dose of unconditional love that I brought back. And one of them was that prior to this incident, I had been feuding with my father. And you know, young people, you get into fights with your parents. I'd been feuding with my father for, for a few years, and we hadn't been speaking for some time. And, and you know, after I had this, what I now know was a near-death experience, I called up my dad, and I said to my father, Dad, I love you. Let's be friends. And my dad and I reconciled and we had an incredibly beautiful, loving father-daughter relationship for seven years after that until my father eventually died. And nothing about my father had changed. He was still the same as he was before I had my experience. It was me that had changed. 
it was those things that had, you know, were so maddening to me before, all of a sudden it was like, they didn't matter. All that mattered was the love, you know, that my priorities really shifted. And so this was one of the profound changes that happened in me after that near-death experience. Another thing that really, really changed in me was that I absolutely lost my fear of death. I, I 100% for sure knew that we live on after death, that what I think of as me will live on after my physical body dies. But I also knew that to be true for everybody. Like how I knew that, I don't know. I just did. I knew that we would all live on that um, it's like we're shedding clothes, right? We're these spirits that inhabit these physical bodies and we step out of the physical bodies when we die. And the other thing that changed tremendously in me is I became much more tolerant of people with divergent religious and spiritual views because I, I understood, like, I just, I just got it, <laughs> you know, that no matter what name you happen to call the higher power, Allah, Brahman, you know, Buddha consciousness, Christ consciousness, whatever God, whatever words you call the higher power, that's okay. The higher power gets it, you know, but it's all different people from different angles trying to understand the same one truth which is the reality of this incredibly intelligent, loving force that's underlying the universe. So it, it changed me tremendously. Now, when I went back to work as a medical doctor after my recovery time was over, you know, I started talking to med- my medical colleagues like, wow, this is what happened to me. Have you ever heard of anything like this? And you know, people knew me. They knew I wasn't crazy or flighty or anything like that. I was a very uh, well-respected medical doctor. But nobody had heard of anything like this back then. And so all of my medical colleagues would come up with this theory, a medical theory about how it was a hallucination, (laughs) that it was a hallucination brought on by an electrolyte imbalance. Like what? You know, a a hallucination brought on by a low blood sugar. And I'm going, no, I've seen people low blood sugars. Like this is not a low blood sugar reaction. And the impact was so powerful and was so positive and was so spiritual you know, I, I, I had to keep searching. So I, I learned to stop talking to doctors because they just weren't getting it. Um, and, and so for many years, I actually led what I call a double life. I was in the closet. You know, I was a closet mystic and a closet spiritual seeker. But on the outside, you know, I got a teaching position at the University of Toronto and the Faculty of Medicine, and I had a very successful career as a medical doctor. But in my private time, you know, I was a spiritual seeker and a mystic because this experience, which I now know is a near-death experience, opened up my consciousness because I started having other types of spiritually transformative experiences afterwards. About a month afterwards, I had my psychic awakening. I had my very first clairvoyant experience. I was actually driving home from work one day and I was going to go visit a friend of mine. And I was stopped at a stoplight in my car, you know, at a red light. 
all of a sudden into my mind's eye pops this really clear visual image of my friend's brain covered in pus. Now, how did I know it was my friend's brain? I don't know. I just did. But to me, as a medical doctor, the symbology was also perfectly clear. I knew it was a symbol for meningitis. And so sure enough, when I got to my friend's house, I asked her how she was feeling. And, oh, she was feeling sick. She had this really bad headache. And, yes, guess what? Later on that same day, she went to the emergency. She was diagnosed with meningitis. So that was my very first clairvoyant experience. I went on and started having more experiences, more clairvoyant experiences, more clairsentient experiences, more clairaudient experiences. Then I started having past life recall experiences. So... As I was in my private part of my life starting to research all of this, I realized, oh, my goodness, I had a mystical experience. I, I, for many years, labeled what happened in the plane crash as the mystical experience because it was a mystical experience that happened to me in the plane crash and that I had with my Kundalini awakening that I'd had a Kundalini awakening as I started reading about it It was, Oh my goodness, I've had all the symptoms of a Kundalini awakening. Now I'm having psychic experiences and lots of different types of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when I started reading about near death experiences, I mean, back then they used to say you had to be clinically dead to have a near-death experience. Well, I've never, I was not dead at any point. So, you know, that's why I called it a mystical experience for many years. So right from an early age, as, I, as a young doctor, I was looking at the whole spectrum of spiritual and paranormal experiences that people were having. And I, I knew they had to somehow all be connected because I was having all of those <laughs> know and and I knew that I wasn't crazy um I was functioning very well in the outer world but I was having a lot of different types of spiritual and paranormal experiences so all of that was like I was leading this double life for many years where I was privately researching and publicly working as a doctor but you know people are smart you know People found me via the grapevine in my practice. More and more and more people were coming to see me in my practice that they heard there was this doctor in Toronto who had had her own sorts of experiences. And if you you could come and speak to her about yours. So more and more people were coming to see me as patients. And in the confidentiality of my medical practice, they were telling me about their experiences all sorts of mystical experiences, psychic experiences, UFO experiences, past life memories. And these were highly credible people. These were people holding down professional jobs, some of them, very high profile jobs. It was only, you know, under the strictest confidence that they confided in me in these experiences. And the stories I was hearing, the, the horror stories of how people were being pathologized, that they were being told by medical doctors that they were crazy, that it was a sign of mental illness. Some of them were even institutionalized and put on medications. And and sometimes by their churches, if they dared admit some of these experiences to their uh, uninformed ministers or clergy, they were being told it was work of the devil. Mm -hmm. Or their family was saying that they were imagining it, stopped talking about it. 
And this was all traumatizing, very traumatizing to the person having these experiences. And so they so appreciated being able to come and speak to me as a doctor who would finally listen to them and believe them and not automatically judge them as crazy. And it gave people a lot of comfort if I would confide in them that, yes, I've had some of these experiences myself. So finally, the two parts of my life started overlapping more and more and more. And then finally, when they really, really came together was in 1990. Um, I had gone and been invited to speak at a conference put on by the Spiritual Emergence Network and the Institute for Transpersonal Psychology was being held in Asilomar, California. Um, uh, And it was being focusing on Kundalini awakening. And part of my search in those searching years, I'd read a lot about yoga. I traveled to India. I met Gopi Krishna. And I found yoga and the yogic model of consciousness was by far the very best model I was able to find to understand what was happening to people who were having these sorts of experiences. It's all understood in yoga that it's part of our evolution of consciousness or expansion of consciousness. They have words for it. You know, mystical experiences are samadhis and all these psychic phenomenon are called siddhis and the spiritual energy is called kundalini, that there was a vocabulary that this is not crazy. This is normal and it's part of our spiritual evolution and growth. So anyway, I I had learned a lot about Kundalini. I was invited to speak there at that conference. And there were so many people there, experiencers, who were so grateful to finally find an MD who believed them. I was so deeply moved. There were some people in tears and hugging me that for years they'd never found an MD who would believe them. And um, I was deeply, deeply moved by the gratitude people were feeling at finally having an MD they could talk to who believed them. And, um, you know, that day I went for a walk on the sand dunes. The Silomar is right on the Pacific Oceans and there are a whole bunch of sand dunes there. And I went for a walk on the sand dunes that night and I had a profound mystical experience on those sand dunes. I call it my calling mystical experience and I do describe it in my book and it was literally like I felt where my head used to be was replaced with a beacon of light going all directions and I could like taste like this amrita they call it amrita in yoga like a nectar dripping in the back of my throat and I felt Nothing was spoken, nothing was said. I just knew, I just knew that I was being called, that it was time to come out of the closet. And I had to now actively advocate for people who are having spiritually transformative experiences because we are doing harm by pathologizing them. And when I came back from that conference, it was such a strong calling by spirit. I went to my university chairman because I had a faculty position at the University of Toronto. 
And I said, you know, I'll resign my position if you want, but this is what I'm going to do now with the rest of my career. I'm going to specialize my practice in the counseling and the research of people who've had diverse types of spiritual experiences. Well, through the grace of God, I think my guardian angels overshadowed my department chairman that day because he said to me, no, Yvonne, you don't have to resign. He says, as long as you're doing research, it's fine with me. So from that point forward, I ultimately opened the Spiritual Emergence Research and Referral Clinic in Toronto, got referrals, people found me, then the media discovered me, and I was on radio and television, and then I was flooded. My practice was flooded with people who wanted to come and talk to me about their various spiritually transformative experiences. So that is my long answer so to how did I, as a medical doctor, get interested in this field? Well, thank you for that. And I have so many questions and comments. Let me start here. In private practice, you were a psychiatrist? I was, I'm trained as a family physician mm -hmm. and as an MD psychotherapist. So in Canada, the way our healthcare system works, um, psychologists for psychotherapy are not covered by health insurance. But if physicians train in, to be a psychotherapist, that is covered by the health insurance plan. So I trained, I have a master's degree in applied psychology in addition to my MD, and I took the medical training to be an MD psychotherapist. So I, that was I, my psychotherapy practice specialized in counseling patients with spiritually transformative experience. In the US, that would probably be equivalent to primary care psychiatry uh, in, in your country. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, this is a great place to go because um, people are starting to leave comments and I believe people are even starting to write me personally about their experiences and the problems they're having in life and especially to brand new experiencers. For some people, it may be a traumatic thing even that could be classified as PTSD. So what advice do you have for brand new experiencers or even people who have experienced it for years and are having trouble assimilating all this experience into their life? Well, you're asking a really, really good question. Thank you, Jeffrey. Mm -hmm. um, and I have focused on this a lot in the last 40 years. In my experience, what seems to help people the most is um, finding an accurate, non-pathological name for their experience, number one. Um, and I'll, I'll translate that into English <laughs> for people who are not in a medical background. <laughs> that means a name that means it's not a disease, that means you're not crazy. <laughs> okay. That, that, and there are, I try to do this in my books, my most recent book and bring it up, Touched by the Light. You mentioned it at the beginning. Trying to get it straight here. People can see it. Okay. That um, my last three books, and this is my most recent one. This is a big part of what I do 
to help people, to help experiencers, is I describe and I give case examples and I share from my own life, but over a hundred of my, my patients and people who've talked to me, different types of experiences. I give a name to it, like, for example, a clairvoyant experience. So you have a name for it. What is a clairvoyant experience? What are some of the examples? Well, that's when you see something that's not normally you would be able to see with your eyes. You're seeing it with your mind's eye. So like when I had my friend's, the vision of my friend's brain covered in pus, that's called a clairvoyant experience. So somebody would say, come to see me as a, uh, in my office and say, wow, I had this experience where I saw my friend's brain covered in pus. And then I just tell them, the word for that type of experience is a clairvoyant experience. Wow, there's a name for it. You know, yes, it's a clairvoyant experience. And you see, in this day and age, just even having an accurate name that other than it's not crazy, but this is what it's called. It's called a clairvoyant experience. Yes, other people are having it too. Then everyone will go off, they'll go on the internet, you know, they'll search it, they'll Google it, they'll start learning about clairvoyant experiences, and then they'll hopefully stop feeling they're crazy, stop feeling they're alone, that they realize, oh my goodness, there's a lot of other people out there who are having this type of experience. Let me give you another one, very common, past life recall. So, you know, a lot of patients would come and see me. I mean, you wouldn't believe what happened. It can happen in a dream or it can happen spontaneously. And sometimes it happens when you meet somebody that all of a sudden you start getting memories of having been incarnated with that person in a previous life. Or sometimes it happens you travel somewhere and then all of a sudden you have start having memories that you've lived in this particular location before and you're seeing things like it was, you know, maybe 100 or 500 years ago in your mind's eye. And so just to have the name for that experience, that it's, oh, this is called past life memories. It's happening to lots of people. No, you don't have to be hypnotized in order to have them. They can happen to people spontaneously. Or transdimensional experiences. Here's another one. You know, people are, uh, they're really frightened um, to talk about what, has been described on, you know, in the media as UFO encounters that, 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 uh, that seem to be trans-dimensional experiences. And so just to even have words, to have a vocabulary, and in my book, I provide this. And when I would counsel people, I would provide this. That is the number one thing I think that helps people is to find an accurate name for what it is. And to realize it's happening to lots of people and it does not mean you're crazy. Even if nobody around you knows about it, at least on the book or on the internet or on YouTube, you're learning that there are other people having these experiences. And guess what? There even is a name for this type of experience and it's not crazy. So in this day and age, um, there are many things a new, a new experiencer can do. So one is to um, read a book like my book, Touched by the Light, um, to go to websites that talk about these sorts of experiences. And I recently started a, um, the, the co-founder of Spiritual Awakenings International. I want to mention that. The website is www.spiritualawakeningsinternational.org. And on the website, 
I've got, I've posted um, definitions for many, many, many types of spiritually transformative experiences that people are having today. And I've had a lot of feedback, a lot of feedback from experiencers who told me, Oh my goodness, just reading your website really, really helped me because as I was going through your experiences, I realized, oh gosh, I had that one. I never knew what it was called. Oh, what do you know? I had that one too. I never knew what it was called. And then, oh, I think I had that one too. And so it's it's like, it's a validation. It's a self-discovery. You're finally finding a place where you fit. You know, it's like, oh, this is actually a place that I fit. I'm not like a weirdo here. I'm somebody that's a multiple STE experiencer and I fit here. And similarly with the near-death experience, I know a number of your viewers are very interested in the near-death experience. I've now had five near-death experiences over the course of my life. I look at it that the good Lord wanted me to be real clear what my medical specialty was going to be. So the good Lord gave me five near-death experiences and multiple, multiple other types of STEs saying, okay, Yvonne, you know it's real. So help those people out there who are having it. So um, anyway, we have a lot about the near-death experience on our website too, the various types of near-death experience. And in addition, on our Spiritual Awakenings International website, um, we have videos posted of some of our speakers who've spoken on this topic. And I actually gave a presentation, um, I think it was last month, and it's posted on our website called Everything You Need to Know About Near-Death Experiences. So I go through all of the the features of near-death experiences, you know, from my 40 years of researching it, what are the after effects, the physical, the psychological, the spiritual. And um, so people can read through that list and go, oh, gosh, what I'm experiencing is normal for somebody who's had a near-death experience. So um, going to websites such as mine, Listening to shows such as yours is another thing people can do because just hearing other people's stories is also very, very validating. So now that you've identified yourself as, let's say you've identified yourself as someone with a near-death experience who now has mediumship abilities, that if you listen to show, a show like yours, Jeffrey, that people will start feeling more normal because they're going to discover that, gosh, a lot of near-death experiencers afterwards find out they develop mediumship abilities. I'm not alone in this. So, so basically, that's how I'd say people should start um, who are the new experiencers. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me run something by you here. About 20 podcasts or so back, a near-death experiencer revealed to me that there are parts of the experience that they will not reveal to anybody publicly. They may only share that with other near-death experiencers. And after hearing that, I started asking this question quite oftenly. And I can confirm that quite a few people say, yes, that's true. And when I ask them to share, they still won't share, which is okay, which is okay because I'm not, I don't want, I want people to be comfortable and share whatever they want to. Um, so I wanted to know if you knew about that and what your thoughts are on that. Well, you know, there are many reasons 
that somebody may not feel comfortable sharing their near-death experience at all or sharing por- not sharing portions of their near-death experience. Um, well, even once they realize it's a near-death experience. I mean, many people take years to even figure out it's a near-death experience. I mean, it took me 10 years to figure out that, that no, you don't have to be dead to have a near-death experience. You can be close to death. I disagreed with the model that you had to be dead. And um, now, of course, other researchers have come to the same conclusion that you can have an NDE when you're facing death, close to death, facing imminent trauma, et cetera. So um, once a person even realizes an NDE, I mean, I'll just share for myself. My NDE I had in 1995 was one of the most profound I'd ever had. You know, I had two as a child that were out-of-body type near-death experiences. I had the white light NDE in 79 that I told you about in the plane crash. I had another one in 1995. I never spoke about that to anybody until I wrote this book. Touched by the Light. I I write about it in this book, Touched by the Light. I didn't speak about it for years. It just felt intensely personal. Like it was sacred. It was a sacred, a deeply personal, sacred experience. And it just, you know, it's sort of like you don't, walk around with your pants down, you know, that's personal, you know, that's private. And, and that's sort of how it, it felt to me that this was something incredibly beautiful, but yet incredibly private. And uh, I only started um, sharing it now with the release of my last book, because spirit very strongly pushed me to share what I've experienced so that after I'm gone, I mean, I'm a senior now, hopefully I'll be around for a number more years, but after I'm gone, my books will still be here. So people can read that and go, Oh, I had an experience like that. I'm not the only one, you know, I felt it was important that I document it. Um, And, and I'll just say very briefly here that, that what was, what was really, really personal to me that I was not comfortable to share for, for, um, more than 20 years, was that afterwards, what it did to my consciousness, it was after that near-death experience, for two months, I was in a unitive state of consciousness. My, it, was, it was what they talk about in yoga, what they talk about in mysticism, where they're that the veil was rent and I felt my oneness with the divine 24 seven. And I knew that what the great mystics and saints talk about this oneness with the divine was possible. And it was possible for ordinary people like me because I was experiencing it. I was living it. I was in that state of oneness 24-7. It literally felt like I did not have a top of my head anymore. And, you know, people might think, oh, you know, who does she think she is? That's something grandiose to claim. Um, But, you know, the experience when I was in it, there was nothing grandiose about it. 
in fact, it was an incredibly humbling experience because although I was feeling this incredible communion oneness with the higher power every moment of every day, and I had just unbelievable intuition, information would come to me before I even knew I needed it. It would just, my intuition was just like wide, wide, wide open. Patients would walk into my office um, you know, because I practiced and did everything normal. I just led a normal life afterwards, but I was in this state of communion. Um, I would know when people walked in my office, I would just look at them. I didn't even have to look at them. As soon as they entered my energy field, I would know what issues were bothering them and how I could best help them before they opened their mouth. And, um, but, you know, the things I under, understood in that state of consciousness, I absolutely understood that every sentient being, every sentient being was just as connected as I was to this, the higher power, the universal ocean of consciousness, whatever we want to call it. It's like a million legs on a, on a millipede. We're all like legs on the millipede. We're all equally connected. The only difference was by some grace of God, that veil that blinds the rest of us, and me now, because you know I'm back to the normal state, is that that veil was removed, and I was living, breathing, experiencing, knowing, feeling that connectedness 24/7. And then I had to, as time went on, I would feel my consciousness contracting, and I would have to meditate, put my consciousness here, and then whoosh, I would go back into that that connectedness again, and then. Gradually, it got more and more difficult for me to, to pop into that communion. And then after the end of two months, I look at it, I guess my karma caught up with me or whatever. But my consciousness came back to my normal state of consciousness. And, you know, there's a saying in yoga, before enlightenment, chopping wood and hauling water. After enlightenment, chopping wood and hauling water. And that's exactly how it was. I didn't tell anybody. There, there was... Nothing to tell. There was nothing to tell. I did. I lived my life. I drove my car. I saw my patients. I, you know, volunteered in my son's school. I did everything as I did previously. But in this incredibly blessed state of unit of consciousness. And that just felt, it felt so personal. It felt so personal. I had absolutely no need or desire to tell anyone. And so I didn't. And the only reason, and that was an after effect of my near-death experience and um, in 1995. And the only reason I'm sharing it now is so that other people will know I'm passing on what I have learned for the next generation, that this can happen to you too. It's not just the exalted saints. It can happen to ordinary people. It is possible. So I just, I'm sharing that as an example that for years, I didn't feel comfortable sharing it. And, and there are still things about my um, 2003 near-death experience. I mean, sometimes it's just impossible to put into words. Um. Other people have told me, for example, um, uh, about going through the life review, for example, that, that their life review is so powerful and so impactful 
uh, and there was so much to it that they can only really talk about it like parts of it, you know, just parts of it. And and I absolutely respect this about experiencers, um, you know, that 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 there's no requirement to have to share your spiritual experiences. And and some people, um, they want to keep all of it or some of it sacred in their heart. And I think we just have to respect that. It's a personal boundary. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, I feel like that I do. And I, I just put it out there and maybe someone will share it. Yeah. Maybe someone won't. Uh, I feel like, it comes down to two things and it's one is someone won't share because of just kind of like you said, it was sacred to them mm-hmm. or two, it is something that maybe that they would either deem to be embarrassing or they'd be worried that people would you know, think they're crazy because the NDE may already seem crazy. But for example, someone recently told me that plants were talking to them mm-hmm. or, um, what was another one? This other lady said she wouldn't share hers, but she shared other people's. And there was, she said two different people were telling me that they, I guess, interacted with aliens. Yeah. So, um, I I think that's all fascinating. Yeah. I've seen that too, that, that, um, the, the ones with a possible UFO or alien contact, that there's still a lot of stigma about that. You know, there's still a large segment of even, even larger that thinks that the rest of them are crazy. There's even a larger segment that thinks the UFO contact one is crazy. So a lot of people are very reluctant to share that. That's been my experience too. Mm-hmm. This is something that I've been thinking about lately is that when you're having the out of body experience, whether it's due to near death or whatever else got you out of your body, you don't have ears, you don't have eyes, but you still have a certain type of perception of vision and a perception of sound, whether it's you're hearing it or you're the hearing part is it's just you're knowing it. It's like a knowingness. But the visual part is there without eyes. Do you have an opinion on how that is happening and what is going on? Yes. Well, my I'm drawing from a number of sources. So one source is my own personal experience, like being out of body. And yes, I can observe what's happening around my physical body when I'm out of body because I've been out of body um, five times, <laughs> you know, with my five near-death experiences. So um, so I know that it's, I know from my personal experience that somehow your consciousness can still see or perceive visual information. I don't know if we should call it seeing, but it's perceiving visual information accurately that's happening on this plane. And then when we go into what seems to be other astral planes, and we can go, according to yoga, it's understood that there are many different astral planes, and thus the variety of experiences people have if we're going sort of horizontally into astral planes that are sort of our density, or sometimes we might go lower into ones that are darker densities, or the white light experiences are understood to be in the astral heavens, the the higher astral planes, that there's visual impressions. You know, people are seeing things not using their physical eyes. So it appears that 
perception, visual perception, is something consciousness does. That the eyes are what consciousness uses when you're in your body. But when you're out of your body, is somehow your consciousness perceives visually. Now, that reminds me of a, a very interesting fact, which you're probably aware of, that there's been some research into um, blind people having out-of-body experiences. So people who are physically blind in their physical form, when they're out of body, are they able to have visual perceptions? And they are, hmm. you know, so, so that tends to confirm that um, it's our consciousness that is perceiving when we're out of body. And if your consciousness is in a, 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 a layer of clothing, our physical body, and the eyes are broken, you know, they're not working, we're physically blind, then we're not able to see, right? We're not able to see because the apparatus for seeing through the body is broken. But if you get out of the body, whoop, the consciousness can still see. So I've seen you on Facebook, and it looks like you're doing live streaming there. Would you share with us what your Facebook yes. page is? Okay. My Facebook page, uh, take a look for it, Spiritual Awakenings International. And um, you can also go to my website, which is spiritualawakeningsinternational.org, because um, we are once a month, uh, and sometimes twice a month, having um, international featured speakers that are talking about um, different types of spiritually transformative experiences. And um, when we have these speakers, we are live streaming them on Facebook. So if you like our Spiritual Awakenings International Facebook page, you'll get a little notice when we are live streaming and you can watch it live on Facebook. And if you miss it, you can come later and you can watch the videos that are posted on Facebook. But if you come to our uh, SAI, that's short for Spiritual Awakenings International, website, you also can sign on as a um, Zoom uh, registrant. You can register for the event. And if you register and watch us on Zoom, you can participate in the question and answer because we have question and answer time at the end of every presentation. And we do it through chat. Um, you know, I... I, I had somebody messaged me last weekend because we had one last weekend. Dr. Jeffrey Long was on speaking about near-death experiences. And somebody was on, on Facebook page saying, how do we submit questions from Facebook? And I had to write them back. Well, you're going to have to come to the Zoom event if you want to participate in the question and answer. On Facebook, you can watch it. But if you want to be participating and actually submitting your questions, you go to our website, register, and then you can participate in the question and answer period on chat. So we have a bunch of our videos already posted on our Facebook page and a bunch of our videos pasted on our website, spiritualwakenessinternational.org. I want to mention here, too, that we're going to be having our very first online conference and it's going to be June 12th and June 13th. That's a Saturday and Sunday. And so I invite people. We're going to be starting registration for our online conference early in March. So maybe this will air. We'll have the conference website up already. We've got a fabulous lineup of speakers from around the world on a broad spectrum of spiritually transformative experiences. It's going to be very exciting. So I want to let people know about that. 
you are one super busy woman. And I'm just curious, do you have any other projects, even personally, that you're working on that you want us to know about? Well, my current big passion, uh, two of them, I want people to know about my book, Touched by the Light. There it is again. Uh-huh. And uh, it's available in print or you can get it as an ebook. And um, uh, people who've read it have given it glowing reviews. I've got the detailed stories of all five of my near-death experiences in there. The two I had as a child, the three I had as an adult. Um, I didn't get a chance to mention that my last near-death experience in 2003 I was actually clinically dead for a period of time. I was in what, you know, the white light realm, um, remembered all my past lives, saw how they all fit together, was given the choice whether or not to come back. And my soul responded, I want to do God's will. What is the higher choice? And I was told to come back. And I accepted and then poof, I woke up in my body, but my body had a serious traumatic brain injury and I was disabled and I was disabled for 12 years due to the traumatic brain injury. And then I had a miracle on February 24th, 2016, when I was deeply meditating, that was over 12 years after my traumatic brain injury, there was like a volcano of light erupted in the center of my brain and I had a spontaneous brain healing experience I had a miracle my brain was healed and I immediately started writing prolifically you know my inner guidance was pass on what you have learned and this book touched by the light sorry to hold it up all the time whoop it's not showing up clearly but that is the first book I wrote after my brain healing So it is not only am I sharing what I've learned in my 40 years of research and hundreds of case stories and definitions for all types of STEs, but it's also a testimonial to the miracle, you know, and I I guess I want to leave people with that message is that, um, you know, God is great. Higher power is great. Miracles are possible because, you know, medically, you know, this, you used to be a chiropractor. They say, oh, you know, after about two years, neurologically, you don't heal anymore. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Twelve years later, I had a spontaneous brain healing. And now, you know, I was the president of IANS uh, in 2019 to 2020. Now in 2020, I'm the president of Spiritual Awakenings International. And I have more books that I'm planning to release in the future. And my whole passion is to raise awareness globally that we're truly spiritual beings. We do not die when our bodies die. And that we're going through a planetary, I think, spiritual awakening right now, where more and more people are having different types of spiritually transformative experiences. And um, we're all a family. That was great. Dr. Kaysen, I knew this was going to happen. I knew we were going to run out of time. I have a whole list of questions that I didn't even get to. So I hope you will come back and we can have a part two to this because there's a lot here left on the table. I'd be real happy to. Thank you, Jeffrey. All right, great. And thank you so much for giving me some of your time. I really appreciate you and I wish you massive success with your books, your 
the SAI, and everything that you're into. Well, I thank you so much. And I think it's great what you're doing with your show. And I wish you well with that as well, Jeffrey. Oh, thank you very much. All right. Have a great evening. You too. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.